0: So, Mark. Yes. We love the love. Indeed, we love the love. Our annual title drop.
1: Yes, we do it but once a year. (laughs) Of course, only once a year. Like Groundhog Day.
0: (laughs) Apparently, Groundhog Day is, like, mathematically bullshit. (laughs) Or something.
1: What, February 2nd?
0: Yeah, no, like, the groundhog gets it right most of the time just because it's always going to be more winter.
1: Yeah, that's how weather works. (laughs) Yeah, so. Especially in Pennsylvania.
0: (laughs) I know. Also, why are we all basing it on Pennsylvania?
1: You're saying we should all have our own groundhogs? Everyone
0: should have their own groundhog.
1: Must it be a groundhog, or can it be regionally relevant? Like, can Arizona have armadillo day
0: yeah i think it has to be a regional animal because i don't think all 50 states even have groundhogs i doubt it okay anyway we have a lot to discuss today so let's get back on
1: track (laughs) okay yes (laughs) these typically are longest episodes yes um anyway uh 2022 i feel like uh we had a lot of good love at the movies we
0: did and i saw all of them And by all of them, I mean all of the nominees and not every movie.
1: I was going to say, you actually saw very few movies in 2022.
0: More than in 2021.
1: Sure, but like, it was not Morbid time in the Schaefer household.
0: It was not Morbid time. Because I think the best thing you can do to continue the joke of Morbius is not see Morbius.
1: Alternatively, I saw Morbius opening weekend, which is the other funniest thing to
0: do. That's the other funniest thing. No other option is good. I did listen to the How Did This Get Made episode about it, and oh my god, that movie is weirder than I could have
1: imagined. It is quite weird. Like, it is the weird thing of, like, it's not like I'm going to recommend Morbius, but you could have a worse time at the movies. Yeah. it's Because it's just so baffling. It sounds confusing. Yeah, but you don't need to track any of it because none of it resolves. The movie just stops. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And apparently a character's name just, like, changes, and they don't acknowledge it.
1: I don't remember that, but I believe it.
0: Yeah, it's Morbin Time.
1: Well, for you, it was not. But it is is Love and Time.
0: I started letterboxing more diligently this year, and it
1: made writing my award nominees much easier. I'm glad to hear that. We should probably just go to our first one. Uh, You know, Mark, what was the best romance you saw this year that was not nominated for Best Picture?
0: Now, I wouldn't nominate the movie for any Oscars. And it has a very long-running head start but this is my opportunity to give bob and linda belcher an award (laughs) for their romance okay this movie has 12 years of television behind it building up a romance but i love the belcher family so much and it's my one opportunity because i doubt there will be a bob's burgers movie too
1: to give them a shout out is there much with their romance specifically in the movie, I mostly remember the whole and a lot of business about a a third fish odor that I had not known about.
0: Um, there's classic Bob and Linda jokes. Sure. And I'm sure Linda makes a wine joke at least once. But the way they talk to each other feels very realistic in that they make fun of each other but are also nice to each other. And usually that balance is very missed in movies and tv show but i feel the belchers nail it
1: all right um my pick was for a movie that was rudely entirely shut out from the oscars and that is george miller's Three Thousand years of longing
0: i still haven't watched that
1: and the romance between narratologist tilda swinton
0: second only to symbologist tom (laughs) hanks
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know whether narratology or symbology is sillier I slightly lean symbology just because that winds up including so many different fields.
0: Aren't they both just semiotics? Like the study of how people communicate?
1: I mean, the the narratologist, Tilda and she does study basically, like, yeah, stories and like how stories communicate things about culture and stuff like that. Uh, The only thing I remember about her presentation is that it ends with a big double page splash of Marvel superheroes.
0: I feel like that's. What semiotics is in part. Because I was reading The Name of the Rose and I googled what semiotics is and I'm not entirely sure I understand it, but a lot of it is just studying how humans communicate through storytelling
1: and other. That does sound like narratology. And symbology. Um, yeah, this love story rules. It is one of two movies in this year where romance is built largely through two adults sitting in a hotel room, not having sex with each other. The other, of course, is Good Luck to You, Leo Grand.
0: I don't even think I heard about that one. It sounds familiar.
1: That's the one where uh, Emma Thompson hires a sex worker because she's never had an orgasm.
0: Ah, yes. That did not seem to make a huge box office splash.
1: That's because it was released on Hulu.
0: Oh, well, yeah, that would explain that. Oh, then that's why it's familiar, because I'm sure it was pushed to my home screen and I ignored it.
1: Yeah, it's good. It was at Sundance last year and then released on Hulu Fox Searchlight actually specifically fought to get it an exception so it could be considered for Oscar stuff, even though it wasn't shown in theaters, because they successfully argued to the Academy that when they bought it, they bought it at a time where the Academy was allowing streaming debuts to qualify for Oscars. I can understand that reasoning. It's a nice enough movie. I watched it on my honeymoon. Good movie. But my my edge goes to 3,000 years of longing, because it is just such a cool way of building a romance through the two of them telling stories about their lives to each other which are like really lushly realized and then there's this third act of the movie where they go back to London and they're living in London together I just think that movie's great and quite notably very few people saw it which I think is a real shame uh, yeah, I like that I'm continuing my trend of weird genre stuff in this category after picking The Matrix Resurrections last year
0: What did I pick last year? You chose Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Of course. I mean, it's the only movie where you have the exact same date scene between two different characters.
1: I mean, that is a pretty great sequence. <laughs>
0: uh, I should rewatch Bob and Star. Bar- Barb and Star.
1: You were, you were confusing it with the VeggieTales remake.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine if instead of Kristen Wiig, it
1: was Bob the Tomato. <laughs> no other changes? <laughs> no other changes. Alright, well, I think... We should probably get underway. As we said, uh, last year's Oscars episode is currently our longest episode by runtime.
0: Okay, wow. Let's get going then. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay.
1: And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important question facing our world. Does Hollywood Best Picture Nominated Romance actually make any sense?
0: And are these people actually dateable or even likable?
1: It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at what are allegedly the 10 best movies of the year and may or may not be the 10 best romances of the year.
0: This year has some hits and misses. But I feel sure. like nothing was that offensive. Except no, for they're, one.
1: They're, well, you're talking about the the assault on the
0: Tolkun? Um, I'm talking about the movie Elvis, which is the most bait-and-switch exciting to boring transition in maybe (laughs) film history and as such is utterly unforgivable. And
1: the fact that it's nominated is a crime. I'm, like, slowly convincing myself that I need to watch Elvis again because, like, you know, especially in that first half, there is something there.
0: Yeah, and then it loses it, and that makes it even worse. I just... Especially,
1: you know, we're going to talk about All Quiet on the Western Front. But after seeing All Quiet on the Western Front, I'm like, yeah, but at least Elvis was, like, going for something interesting. Yeah. We'll talk about that one, too.
0: Briefly, if we're only talking about the romance. Yes, very briefly.
1: (laughs) I was uh, delighted that this year you saw all ten Best Picture nominees. That's been uh, a whale that you've been chasing for some time. Yeah. But not to be confused with The Whale, which was not nominated.
0: Not The Whale. It took a lot of effort. I paid more attention to some than others. Again, All Quiet on the Western Front.
1: (laughs) Oh, so this is, I think, the first year, at least the first year in a while, if not the first year ever, that I saw every one of these in a movie theater. And that includes All Quiet on the Western Front returned to the Avalon Theater up by Chevy Chase. And so I went to see that on Saturday. And as I was watching it, I was like, there is zero chance this thing would have held my attention if I watched it at home.
0: Oh my god, it was... I was like so bored during work that I started it and that I was just praying for emails to come through. Oh no. I was like, ugh.
1: But we'll we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that I had not seen by nomination day. And that's because I had actively chosen repeatedly not to watch it. Like I was very aware of its original release last fall and repeatedly elected not to go see it when it was the only thing showing when I felt like going to a movie. I kept being like, eh, I will just not
0: That was the right choice. Yeah. Because there's always that movie you really hope won't get nominated, but is getting buzz, and then you have to watch it by the end.
1: Honestly, what's funny is, like, I didn't even really, at the time, expect All Quiet to get nominated. It wasn't really on a lot of people's radar for that. It certainly was not on Netflix's radar for that. They were pushing Glass Onion and Bardo and White Noise. And Pinocchio. And Pinocchio, right. And this one kind of feels like it emerged when the shortlists came out for the craft categories, and All Quiet on the Western Front was on a ton of those shortlists. And that's when it was suddenly like, oh, this is like a player for Best Picture, and was probably sixth for Best Director.
0: I don't know why. Obviously, it's not the first one I would cut from the list.
1: It is the first one that I would cut from the list. I think it's less interesting than Elvis. Uh,
0: yeah, I just, Bass Lerman can't keep getting away with it. The man needs to be stopped because he makes boring movies that seem like they should be exciting. He's got zero Best Director nominations. Good. But, like, I think that's interesting. It is interesting, but he commits one of the biggest crimes to me, which is making boring movies that seem like they should be exciting and goofy. Taking goofy and making it boring is worse to me than taking serious and making it boring.
1: Okay, I see that. Part of it might just be distance, right? I saw all these movies in theaters. I saw half of them more than once. I don't think I've seen any more than once. And Elvis is the one that I saw longest ago that I only saw once. Like, I saw everything everywhere longer ago, but I saw that twice in theaters.
0: I feel like you just like to convince yourself that you liked a movie more than you did to make it seem like
1: the Academy is more sane than it is. No, because I, I, frankly, I'm not that invested in the Academy being sane. I just, I'm still wrestling with, I guess I'm still wrestling with the experience of Elvis, right? I'm still wrestling with that promising first hour and how much it sags later on. And like, on some level, that means it stuck with me, but it probably didn't stick with me in a very good way. Right. I just have a hard time thinking that I will even be thinking about All Quiet on the Western Front a month from now. And Elvis, I think there are parts of that that I'm just going to keep going back to.
0: That's fair. It's also, that movie really does gloss over the fact that Priscilla was 14 and people weren't happy about that at the time.
1: Yes. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I am glad that we are a romance podcast because that means that the part of Elvis we get to focus on is his romance with Priscilla. It's a little unfortunate for that movie because the movie is so clearly uninterested in it. Like Baz is interested in Elvis as the icon about what it means to be this figure in culture and also be trying to be a person. And the aspects of Elvis as a person that the movie is really invested in is, like, his artistic route, his connection to the church, and especially the black church. Like, that's where he keeps going back whenever he has troubles. You know, when he is feeling frustrated in his career, he, like, goes and hangs out with other musicians. The other musicians he knows are black. We don't see him, in times of frustration, go to Priscilla.
0: Uh, no. Priscilla is a source of the frustration.
1: Right. And, like, I think it's interesting that those are the things Baz is drawn to in that story, but it does mean that Priscilla is dealt with abruptly.
0: For something that was such a very large and contentious part of his life, I feel like it should be addressed more seriously. Yeah, you know, but what do you, what do you want? The, th- the three-hour Elvis? Uh, no, I want no Elvis, maybe.
1: <laughs> okay. Before we move on, do you have any other thoughts in general? You and I have not really talked about the Oscar nominations.
0: Well, yeah, because I watched, like, uh, six of them in the past two weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas I was already at the point of, like, hey, I've seen everything at the movie theater. I guess I'll see Tar again. Um, I
0: liked more of this year's nominees than usual, probably.
1: I think it is overall a good list.
0: It is overall a good list. It is a long list this year. In that yes. The shortest movie is women talking at an hour 45, an hour 50, and all of the rest are, like, two and a half hours plus. It's not a short batch. And that made powering through six of them in two weeks a slog. At least it's, like, a fun batch. Like, the movie, it's not really a slate
1: of downers.
0: No, because even, like, the downerest of the movies is probably, it's all quiet. Banshees? Well, all quiet, yeah. But then it's probably women talking, which ends positively and is very captivating. Yeah. And is also the shortest one. And is also the shortest one. So you don't have to ruminate in the depression for too long. And I would say after that is probably Banshees of Nishirin. And that one you get to like. Is also kind of a comedy. You got the bread truck. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the funniest thing <laughs> to happen in a movie in 2022.
1: Uh, probably the best joke of the year.
0: Yeah. And even that, because the thing is, that's not even really—it's a drama, but it's—it's it's a dramedy at the very least.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good—it's a good set of nominations this year. I haven't seen everything. I have not seen the Andrea Riseborough movie. Uh, no, I have not either. I have not seen the whale. Like there are some outliers that I have not seen, but I do want to take this moment to call out, from what I have seen, the worst film to receive any nominations at the Oscars this year, and that is. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, which is nominated for Best Animated Short Film. The worst movie is always a short. People don't realize that. Well, yeah, because people don't watch them. What's the best picture that's garbage? And it's like, no, the worst movie nominated at the Oscars is always one of the shorts. And this year, it's one of the animated shorts, which is unusual. It's usually a live-action short. But this thing is 34 minutes. Too long. You can watch it on Apple TV, but you shouldn't. And it's like... It's digitally animated, but styled to look like the Winnie the Pooh illustrations. And it is just this little boy wandering through a snowscape as animals just spout nonstop platitudes at him.
0: Ugh. That sounds so bad.
1: It's horrible. That sounds awful. My wife and I saw the animated shorts together, and the whole way home, I just, like, Anytime she said something, I would, like, try to shoehorn it into a weird platitude. Because that's the experience of watching this for over a half hour.
0: Awful. That's, like, my worst case scenario. <laughs>
1: it's, it's terrible.
0: Oh, God.
1: So, to our listeners with children, do not show them the boy, the bull, the fox, and the horse. Because they deserve better.
0: <laughs> and it's directed at children? Because I feel like a lot of the... Oh, yeah. The short- uh, well, it,
1: it, I think it's directed at adults who will think this is a good thing for children.
0: Because I feel like a lot of times animated shorts aren't always for children.
1: I understand that My Year of Dicks is made for adults.
0: Is that a real thing? Yeah. I haven't heard of that one.
1: It's the one that made Riz Ahmed laugh during the nominations announcement.
0: Oh, right. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, no, this, uh, The Boy, the Ball, the Fox, and the Horse, it feels like it is designed for adults to be like, wow, this is exactly the kind of thing that kids need. And then kids will be bored by it. Because kids have mixed taste kids can smell a
0: stinker for the most part except for peter rabbit actually a lot of the times the problem is that parents think their kid will like it because the peter rabbit the kids weren't actually into it that much but i guess enough parents thought their kids would be that it made enough money to make a sequel
1: but like yeah you could show any of the animated feature nominees to a child and it'd be a better use of their time i haven't seen the sea beast but i know people like the sea beast pinocchio is so good yeah yeah
0: I do want to watch Marcel the Shell with shoes on.
1: It's very sweet.
0: Because I've seen three of the five animated features this year.
1: You've seen Puss in Boots, Turning Red, and Pinocchio?
0: Yes. Sure. Which, I feel like there was better ones than Puss in Boots, but
1: you know what? Yeah, I mean, part of it is, is that eternal question with the animated feature of, will they ever nominate something not made for kids?
0: Wasn't Persepolis nominated?
1: Persepolis was probably nominated. I'm pretty sure Anomalisa got a nomination. But, like, it's rare. And there were a lot of people beating the drum for Mad God, the Phil Tippett movie, which is absolutely not for kids. It is just undistilled nightmare fuel. But it's really cool, and it's really cool animation. And that belonged in there.
0: Yeah. But I feel like they have to do one DreamWorks and one Disney, and somehow that is how they pay for the
1: Oscars. Disney shut out this year. No Strange World.
0: (laughs) Turning red.
1: That's the Pixar.
0: Yeah. I guess that's looped in. There's never a year where Disney or Pixar, like, including Pixar, isn't nominated. Sure. All right. Shall we get into the believability of these nominees, though?
1: We probably should. Before we do that, Mark, we were just talking about animated features, which often feature these. So as we do another one of our calls, what is your pick for best animal? In a 2022 movie.
0: Now, we may have the same one for this one. I'm curious.
1: I was going to guess that we don't, but I'm curious what you have.
0: My answer is Jenny the mini donkey from Banshees of Inishirin.
1: Okay, I did consider Jenny. As we discussed on our year-end episode, this was a big year for donkeys.
0: Big year for donkeys. I saw Triangle of Sadness.
1: Another unnecessary donkey moment. But there's also the EO donkeys. There's the donkeys in Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. Jenny, clearly the best of the donkeys.
0: Clearly the best of the donkeys, she's so cute, I would let Jenny in my house. I understand why you don't want a donkey in your house. But at the same time, I would let Jenny, the mini donkey, in my house. Because she is so cute, and she's so well behaved, and she did not deserve to die. And Brandon Gleason did deserve to have his house set on fire. (laughs) Really? That's your take? Because Jenny died. (laughs) He didn't deserve to die, but I'm fine with his house being set on fire.
1: Alright, okay, wow. Coming down hard on old, what's his name? Colm.
0: Colm did not care for Colm.
1: Oh, I enjoy Colm.
0: Ugh, he's so like he's pretentious. He's so pretentious. It's so annoying to watch.
1: I would love to watch Colm have a conversation with Lyiatar.
0: Oh my God, Lyiatar would destroy him though. He, would. That would be he fun. Would never recover. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, Lyiatar
1: real true human being Tar. she's the she's the real deal so my first pick for best animal i'm open to the argument that we shouldn't really consider this an animal interesting it's my best friend it's probably the most important person to me and that is uh, my guy paiakon the killer tulkun i yeah i mean that whole uh, that raises a question
0: of what is an animal like if it's a right, like, fully sentient culture
1: Right, Pyacon is basically a person.
0: Because then you could argue, like, oh, one of the
1: Navi is my favorite animal too. Yeah. So I thought you might say that about my best friend, Pyacon, the killer Tolkun. So instead, my number two, something that I do not think is like a sentient being with culture. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jean Jacket. Okay. The alien from Nope.
0: Yeah. Fair. We don't really understand how sentient it is, but I think the answer is not very. Yeah,
1: I think it's just a a lurking predator that makes itself look like a cloud. Wow.
0: That thing is creepy. It's so cool! Also inspired by the t-shirt I'm wearing, Neon Genesis Evangelion.
1: Still haven't seen it, but... More and more directors are trying to convince me I need to watch anime. Michael B. Jordan is out there this week being like, Creed 3 is mostly just an anime. And I'm like, I I believe you and that does excite me, but I'm not going to pretend to understand it.
0: I mean, that's a different type of anime from the ones I've seen. But you should watch Akira to start, at least.
1: I do know that, yeah.
0: If you want to, you know, build your film knowledge.
1: Yeah, I know. I know that it inspired Puss in Boots, The Last Wish.
0: Uh, There is a direct line you can draw from Akira to any animated feature today, probably, so you're not wrong. (laughs) No, that is a thing that I read in an interview. (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah.
1: People say the wildest shit in interviews, don't they? Well, no, I mean, it's the funny thing of, like, anytime someone is asked, like, oh, like, what movies influenced you, and you just respond with, like, the best movies, you're like, oh, what movie influenced you in making this Citizen Kane? It's like, alright, fine, but, like, (laughs) that's not interesting. (laughs)
0: What movies inspired you? Hmm, Well, movies. Movies inspired me.
1: Yeah. Akira feels like the animated version of that answer. Very much so. All right, but uh, speaking of greatness, Mark, we've got to start talking about our Best Picture nominees. So I'm going to ask you to walk us through the romance of Edward Berger's All Quiet on the Western Front.
0: Okay, well, this movie has no credited female actors. Does it really? Well, at least according to Wikipedia. No gay characters, and as a result, there's not much here for romance. At one point, one soldier goes and sleeps with a woman in the French countryside and gets her scarf.
1: Yes, this is what I was very excited when I was suffering through this movie at the Avalon last weekend. I was very excited when these French ladies showed up.
0: But you don't even see their faces, clearly.
1: No, no, you don't. Yeah, the movie is, is partially adapted from Eric Maria remarks' classic World War I novel, All Quiet on the Western Front. And as you say, it's only romance is when one of the guys sees like three French farm maids walking through a field, goes over to talk to them, successfully gets them to let him leave with them, and as you say, returns with the scarf, which they all take turns sniffing. They're scarf sniffers.
0: God, no movie feels like it thinks it's important like a World War One movie.
1: You know what? The other romance is between the main guy and his poster. He steals a poster of a sexy lady. Yeah. He does kiss it. He does kiss it. I guess that's fair. That's the kissing in the movie. He kisses the poster.
0: But oh my god. After watching it I read Jamel Bowie's piece about it and I
1: was like, ah yes, I agree. <laughs>
0: As per usual with you.
1: The movie is much like the boy, the mole, the fuck, and the horse incredibly convinced of its own importance. It's a movie that is just, like, screaming that it has something to say. It looks like an important movie, but it, it actually, there's just nothing there. It says, war is
0: bad, and World War I was pointless. Okay, good job.
1: It also, like, accomplishes that idea in the first hour, and then there's another hour and a half.
0: Yeah. And if I, like, I never read the book, but I thought the point of the book was it's also largely about reintegrating into society. And they cut that part out
1: entirely. Yes, they cut that out entirely to add in a plot about the armistice. And, oh, don't you know, if you do this, then there will be another war. And it's like, okay, but like, Eric Maria Remarque did not know there was going to be a World War II. It is, dare I say, a very German All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Which is obviously a German book, but...
0: The book is about the life of a soldier, and so the movie, adding in this upper echelon plotline, takes away from the importance of the book being about a soldier.
1: I think part of the problem is that the guys in the armistice meetings feel so much more realized as characters. And part of that's just Daniel Brühl is a really good actor, but... Besides the main guy, all the other characters make such minor impressions that every time they come back, I'm like, oh, right, that dude. Like, I'm not invested in what happens to them. And at first, I was like, oh, this is part of the point. It's supposed to be, like, all these people who just, like, blend into the crowd of boys who are killed. But the movie kept bringing them back, like, remember this guy? And I didn't.
0: Yeah, I couldn't really tell a lot of them apart at times.
1: I think this is hands down, without competition, the worst movie nominator for Best Picture this year. <sighs>
0: I guess at least Elvis brought me some joy at times. This movie was nothing but a slog.
1: It's a slog, and it thinks the fact that it is a slog is interesting, and it just isn't. Like, I cannot imagine ever recommending this movie to someone as a World War I movie, or a war movie in general.
0: How did they do so well at the BAFTAs? I don't know. I read about that before watching the movie, and now I'm just like, what was going on there?
1: Yeah, for people who don't know, this movie cleaned up at the BAFTA Awards about two weeks ago now, I think. Uh, including winning best film there.
0: God. Crazy decision.
1: Yeah. Nuts.
0: So where would you rate the romance?
1: Where would I rate the romance of All Quiet on the Western Front? I think it's a 10 out of 10.
0: I think it's a 10. Why not? Because the other thing is, we don't even know if he slept with the women. All he did is walk away and get a scarf. Yeah, that's true. And he easily could have just gotten a scarf as a gift.
1: I think all four of them had sex together.
0: So who knows?
1: I think it was a French farm lady thruple that invited him in for this one time.
0: You can think that if you want, Will. (laughs) I gotta make this movie interesting somewhere. It's not, but it does get a 10. All right, next movie. Don't watch All Quiet on the Western Front.
1: That's right. Do not. Not worth your time. It is on Netflix, presumably forever, but you know what? So are many other things. Yeah,
0: and you might soon not have Netflix at the rate they're going.
1: That's true. Especially me, because I have never paid for Netflix. Yeah, me neither. All
0: right. And we are doing this in alphabetical order, people. As a spoiler alert.
1: Is that your explanation for why Elvis is not next? Yes.
0: It would be fun to, like, just get those two out of the way, but instead we are doing a normal order.
1: And a great movie.
0: Uh, We will continue to disagree about the Avatar series. All right, so we're talking about Avatar The Way of Water... You must slow down your heartbeat. Breathe
2: in. Breathe from down here. Breathe out slowly. Look, your heartbeat is fast. sorry. Try to focus. Okay. Breathe in. And breathe out. Let your mind go clear.
1: A movie that I have seen in theaters three times.
0: Which is baffling to me. I don't understand at all what you see in this movie. Besides a pretty movie.
1: Well, that is one thing that I see, and I also see a great time at the movies. And, like, especially every time I go back, like, the third time, it just goes down easy. I know what's gonna happen. I'm having a blast. Blows by.
0: I don't know. I think I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the first Avatar I think it's better. But it's still just, like, long. The same movie as the first one continues to be a, like, straightforward... I still think it's the noble savage trope. And a lot of indigenous activist groups have said the same thing.
1: And I don't know. It just drags. I... Could not disagree more about the pacing of this movie. <laughs> I find it thrilling, in part because, like, I think that the structure of it really keeps the thing moving, where it starts with this pretty cool action sequence where you've got the raid on the train, and then you're getting back and you're and seeing the new base and everything that's going on there. From there, then you're jumping to the islands. You get to explore this whole new world, dig into all of that. You get to meet Payakan, my guy. And then, before you know it, you're doing... Another great fight sequence. It's James Cameron okay, James sinking a Cameron, ship.
0: That is a no thing. one James does that Cameron better. can sink a ship. That part is my favorite part. It rules. It's so
1: compelling. And then you end it with the handoff, where now the kids are rescuing the parents. When I saw the Titanic re-release a couple of weeks ago, I just kept seeing all these parallels between Titanic and The Way of Water. And I was, it was making it even more exciting for me. I think that... There's just so much going on, and I love talking about this movie, and I think it's a blast to see. And part of why I was going to see it so many times is because I was like, look, I will probably watch this movie at home at some point, but, you know, who knows when I will next get to see it at a theater. And that's where the real excitement of it is. I don't think it's reductive to say that, like, part of the appeal of it is that it looks great, because film is a visual medium. Like, you want it to look great, and few movies look as good as this.
0: Yeah. Um... One problem for me, I could not take the marine Na'vi seriously. They look so ridiculous. No, I like them. (laughs) They look so stupid. I just, I don't know. I would love to get more information about what's happening back on Earth, because the economy doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what's going on there?
1: Well, this one introduces an idea that's not in the first Avatar movie. In the first Avatar movie, they're just here for unobtainium. But... This one introduces the concept that, like, basically Earth is dead and humanity needs to leave Earth. And the military people there are no longer just there for, like, economic resource extraction. They're there to build a beachhead to move humanity to Pandora.
0: That's a big shift in 20 years.
1: Well, but also, you know, we've got to ask ourselves about, like, what was going on in Earth before the first one. Like, right, things are probably trending that way already. Yeah. And this is probably the beginnings of that project.
2: Right.
0: Right. But also the addition of, like, the anti-aging serum from the whale brain. It's just like, okay, so is that for the people on Pandora?
1: No, that's for, like, the elites of human society.
0: I don't know. It's very... To me, it is odd.
1: I mean, that's a... It's less about what the thing is, and it's more about the waste, right? They're gonna kill these people. You know, you've argued that Pyacon is not an animal, and I think that's a good argument. They're gonna kill these people and throw away so much of it just because they can get this small thing.
0: I get that. It's just also a lot happening and Jermaine Clement showed up and I was like, what's going on? I just, you know, we will never see eye to eye on the avatar series.
1: (laughs) I think we will not. I also went back to see the original one in theaters this year. Still great.
0: Uh, They are visually stunning. This
1: one even more so because Jake Sully is wrong about everything in it.
0: I do appreciate that. His accent work is so God awful. Because when he said the word mate, I was like, James Cameron said, let's use this take, and not, let's try this again. And so you sound like you're from America.
1: I, I just love that he's wrong about everything in this movie. Yeah. Which is kind of a good pivot to talking about the romance of it, because I would say my biggest knock on The Way of Water is that Natiri doesn't have enough to do.
0: I, yeah, I agree with that. She's just like a grieving mother screaming. In, in the last it. act. In the last act, just screaming a lot. And she's barely in the middle act. All she does is be mean.
1: And I think what's going on there is this movie is still mostly from Jake's perspective. And Jake Sully spends this movie being dumb. And the movie knows that he's being dumb. But he is insisting that the way to solve their problems is just to keep running away as much as they possibly can. And Nateri doesn't want to do that. She wants to stay and fight with her people, the Metcaina. And Jake's like, no, we have to leave which is also like a bigger deal for her because yes he's lived here for 20 years but these are her people these she's lived her whole, her whole life her parents were in charge yeah but they go and they go to the water navi the uh the Omidakaia, and they live with them and we don't really as you said we don't really see much natiri there until late in the movie where they have to go and save their kids from colonel Quaritch and the older son dies not Lo'ak the other one <laughs> i don't remember his name and as you say, she becomes this this grieving mother figure. And, yeah, you know, th- I mean, that's the biggest bummer for me in the movie, is that there's not enough of her. There are some, like, some hinted flirtations with Lowak and, uh, what's-her-face? The water navi girl. I um, don't know.
0: I couldn't tell you a single name besides Neytiri.
1: I think kiri and Spider kind of have some flirtation going on.
0: The Sigourney Weaver Jesus baby played by Sigourney Weaver plotline
1: I think she is so good in this movie.
0: It's bizarre, though. It's not her fault, but it's just like, what's happening here? I assume it's gonna be built out more in the next one.
1: Yeah. But it's weird. I think Sigourney is incredible in this movie. She's so good at playing the teenager.
0: One thing that I didn't understand and made me actively mad, Sigourney Weaver grabs one of those, like, scuba tank fish and there's like a whole herd of them and she can control the fish why didn't she bring more to give to the people like she only brought one that she gave to neytiri why didn't she just command two more to fly with her or swim with her
1: i mean it's not about commanding right it's about it's about going with excuse me yeah you're, you're trying to be too forceful you're being too human about this
0: i really don't think there's a
1: reason for that besides upping the stakes look mark the way of water has no beginning and no end
0: before you're born born after you die it really felt like a moment where she could have just brought them and i still would have felt like stressed instead of having another scene of like oh can they hold their breath that long i don't know why that one thing really stuck out to me but it really got lodged in my brain and i left the movie and was just thinking about that
1: oh well that's I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Where are you going to put the romance of The Way of Water?
0: Uh, I don't know. It's... I don't remember finding the romance of the first one that believable. But, like, the first one is a romance, right? Yeah. But I'm just going to say, like, building off of that, I don't know,
1: like, a seven? You gave the original Avatar a five.
0: I guess, you know, with 20 years of being together... And if they've stuck it out, then the romance between them makes more sense to me. So a seven feels good.
1: I am going to give this movie a solid 8.5.
2: Okay. I need sure.
1: more Natiri, and I would like to see where the where the Kiri spider thing goes from here. But I am into it, and I gave the original Avatar a six, so I also find this one more believable than the original.
0: Again, seeing a romance 20 years in, I think, does change things.
1: Yeah. All right, Mark, uh, before we move on, what is the 2022 movie in which the leads should have kissed and did not?
0: I mean, I feel like there was a Top Gun movie this year. It's going to be the Top Gun bro dudes.
1: Okay, which characters in Top Gun Maverick do you think should have kissed?
0: Um, Miles Teller and, what's his name, Glenn Powell?
1: Yeah, I, I could do that. Hangman, yeah. yeah. Glenn Powell's I mean, so good in that movie.
0: It's The crazy. rivals should kiss this movie even more homoerotic than the last one
1: yeah and it's good you could also do a tom cruise val kilmer kiss it would be very sweet
0: i mean if they like had a moment where it turns out that they were ex-lovers i would believe it yeah like one more kiss before dying can val kilmer not talk now or did they just
1: Yeah. okay no that's they wrote it around the scene around his medical condition
0: okay I wasn't sure, and that's very, like, it's a very well acted scene. But I was like, I was watching, I was like, this is kind of a weird choice, unless this is Val Kilmer. (laughs) Like, yes, it is. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. Two shirtless guys playing double football on the beach. Oh, they score. Ooh, what happens? Little kissing. Then they get even more sad when one of them gets stranded. I just think that they should kiss.
1: Yeah, I mean, we went in similar directions because I said the clear movie where the leads should have kissed is RRR. I still haven't
0: watched it. I need to watch it.
1: Again, it is two dudes in a military-ish setting who are just very close. And, you know, when they're swinging on lines and, like, throwing motorcycles, like, I specifically would want them to kiss, like, mid-battle.
0: Yeah, I mean, the planes are not set up for them to be able to
1: kiss mid-battle. Right, that would be difficult. I guess, like, the person sitting in the rear seat of the plane could, like, give the person in front a reach-around, but that's the closest.
0: I don't know if there's enough room in that plane. (laughs) That's true. Also, where would, where would it, how would it end? Messily.
1: That's true. That's a problem. And then it's getting into the equipment.
0: Yeah. It's not a good situation. Wait till you're back on the beach.
1: My other pick for a movie where the leads should have kissed is Duel. The Karen Gillan movie.
0: (laughs) I also thought about Duel. (laughs) Because I think Karen Gillan should kiss her duel. I think Karen Gillan is one of the few actors that could pull it off, too. Yeah. That would be a twist I didn't see coming. No,
1: but you could almost imagine it happening. You, you really can. All right. Speaking of movies where a kiss could be really exciting, talk to me about The Banshees of Inisherin.
2: I'm glad I caught you, actually. Because there was something I was wanting to ask you, actually. And discover how much we have in common. Well just makes me want to ask you even more. We don't have anything in common. Uh, don't skip ahead. But yeah, what I was wanting to ask you was... ...something along the lines of... ...should have planned this, really. But yeah, what I was wanting to ask you was... ...you probably wouldn't ever want to... ...I don't know... ...to fall in love with a boy like me, would you? Oh, Dominic, I don't think so, love. Oh, yeah, no. I I was thinking no. Not even in the future, like, like, when I'm your age. Yeah, no. I didn't think so. Just thought I'd ask in the off chance. You know, like, faint heart and that. So, The
0: Banshees of Inishirin is a movie set on the fictional Aran Island of Inishirin during the Irish Civil War. And it's about Colin Verrill playing a guy whose name I don't remember. Uh, Patrick. Patrick and his best friend Colm, played by Donald Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Duh. It's Daddy-O this time. Daddy-O. And they are best friends, but... Colm decides that life's too short and Patrick's too dumb. Life's too short to
1: be friends with a dummy.
0: Yeah. And so he then cuts off his friendship with Patrick, who's just a sweet little guy who's very dumb but very nice, who lives with his sister and his pet mini donkey named Jenny. And he won't leave Colm alone.
1: Yes. I think the only real romance in Banshees is that. Barry Keegan's character kind of has a thing for Carrie Condon. Oh, yeah.
0: But it's, like, even weird, it's like, is that even a real thing, or is it just that he is very messed up?
1: Right, yeah, you almost feel like he is just straining for some sort of normalcy, some sort of stability, and Carrie Condon is the most normal, stable person on the island.
0: Right. The only normal, stable person on the island. Good for her for leaving.
1: Number two is what the like nosy post office lady,
0: maybe the bartender at the oh, pub. Yeah. He seems nice.
1: Yeah, but this is a this is a bromantic movie, not a romantic movie. It is. It's very odd. I really enjoyed it. It's the good kind of Martin McDonough, where you're like, this is kind of unpleasant but very funny. The man can write about Ireland, and he can't write about anything else, but he can write about Ireland.
0: I went out to the Aran Islands one time. And it was very fun to see them in film again. Yeah. Because it is odd. It was, I gotta say, it was odd being in a place in Ireland where English was the second language.
1: Um, Speaking of that, did you know there is an Irish language film nominated at the Oscars this year?
0: I did. I should watch it. Is it good? I don't know anything about it. I haven't it. seen
1: it, but I've heard very lovely things about it.
0: I also want to watch Argentina 1985. That one is
1: streaming. I think it's on, like, Canopy or something.
0: Yeah, but I need to watch that with Nick.
1: Sure, that makes sense. So, Banshees, there's not a lot of romance there. The romance is basically Barry Keegan is seeking out the most normal person in the community, and she does not want to be with him, which I find pretty believable. So, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for the Banshees. Good work, Martin McDonough. Um, how'd you do last time? Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. You gave a four, and I gave a five. So, that's a big improvement. Wow. All right, Well, Take us to Elvis. All right, so... It's time. Uh, Bas Lerman's Elvis is a movie about the king of rock and roll. It is told by Colonel Tom Parker, his agent, performed by Tom Hanks, doing an accent that the real Colonel Tom Parker did not have. It's
0: so weird.
1: <laughs> and the whole movie, ostensibly, is narrated by Tom Parker as he is dying and heavily medicated with morphine. And if you're thinking, that sounds weird, the movie sure does start that way. It does start feeling like the dying thoughts of a man high on morphine.
0: But then it loses it. And that's the biggest shame in the movie.
1: Yeah. So it is exciting when we're like swinging all over the place and you've got like Cody Smith McPhee being like, hey, listen to this. And Tom Hanks is like, this is the white man. And you're like, "Wow, I did not expect this movie to go this hard. And you've got like Elvis talking about how he's got to do his wiggle. Like, that's fun. But the romance comes into this movie around the time that Elvis joins the military. He gets drafted.
0: He does. No, doesn't he choose to join? He enlists because his um, reputation is too scandalous.
1: He's been wiggling too much.
0: Too wiggling. That is the
1: word that Tom Hanks, as Tom Parker, uses to describe Elvis's dancing. You must not wiggle.
0: You must not wiggle. Elvis has to wiggle, so he goes to the military.
1: And he's sent to Germany, and it's in Germany that he starts dating a young lady whose age is never specified.
2: Priscilla, the pretty teenage daughter of a United States Air Force officer. And then he said to me, You know what, Priscilla? You gotta listen to me, sweetie, because this guy, he's got got girls all over the world, okay? He's got girls waiting outside of his house, and girls writing him endless fan mail. And then mommy decides to pitch in and go, ooh, what could he possibly see in you, okay? What, what do you two do up there all night? And, and I just said, mom, dad, we talk and we listen to music, okay? That's all. And then they were going on and on and on about that photo of you and Natalie Wood riding around on that bike in Memphis. And, and then what I said, and I said this really calmly, I said, listen, okay, he's just really lonely. quite frankly, so am I. And then they didn't really know what to say after that, so they went upstairs and they went to bed. Never met anyone like you. Yeah, boy,
0: is she aged up in this movie, because I do not believe that that actress is 14.
1: Um, Olivia DeJong, I don't know how to pronounce her name, it's D-E-J-O-N-G-E. But she is 24 years old.
0: Yeah. 10 years older than Priscilla Presley was when she met Elvis.
1: And, you know, obviously she's playing her over a span of time, but it is significant that this girl was very much a teenager when the adult man, Elvis, began fooling around with her.
0: And people judged him for it at the time.
1: I would say rightly.
0: Rightly judged him for it. This movie has no interest in that.
1: This movie has very little interest in Priscilla, who will crop up occasionally, but by the time she comes in, we're also just zipping past parts of Elvis's life to get to what Baz is ultimately interested in, which is the Vegas residency. And I do think it has some interesting stuff in Vegas in terms of showing the Elvis Vegas shows not as like a sort of like dying breath of like somebody who's gone too far, but as like kind of interesting artistic innovation, which is true. I mean, I love some of Elvis's Vegas music. But to do that, they are, you know, they literally blow past his film career in like one shot of a montage. And Priscilla is really left behind in all this.
0: Oh my god, she is the most stereotypical wife
1: in a movie. I mean, she does literally shout, I'm your wife, at one point.
0: It's so bad. Ugh, it's so frustrating. The most interesting thing about Elvis is Austin Butler still doing the Elvis voice as of recording.
1: Oh no! Honestly, I think at this point he's only in a half Elvis voice, which is funnier to me.
0: Yeah, the vocal coach claiming that he like permanently changed his vocal cords essentially is so funny.
1: It felt like a bit at first, like when he was hosting SNL and sounded like Elvis. You were like, "Wow, okay." Like, I get that. Like, you've over identified with Elvis in some ways, where like you see parallels like between your like relationships with your moms and thing like that. But like, this has gone a little far. And now that he is. At this point where it's, like, a half Elvis, I'm like, oh, I believe it. You really did, like, mess up your voice so you talked like Elvis. And now you're just starting to get out of it. Which makes me very curious about what Fade Rautha will sound like in Dune. Oh my god, I
0: forgot. Uh, I can't wait. I really hope it's full Elvis voice, including the accent. it kind of work, almost! (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so excited to see this now.
1: Um, at the end of the movie, Priscilla makes the kind of appeal you would expect of like Elvis stop doing drugs and then you know she leaves him him and we pan up to the sky and Tom Parker narrates how Elvis died because he had too much love in his heart basically
2: yeah What killed my boy Then doctors say it was his heart others the pills some say it was me No, I'll tell you what killed him. It was love. His love for you.
0: As always, weird to rate a nonfiction movie.
1: It is weird to rate a nonfiction movie, but like Elvis is such a work of fantasy that I think we still can. Yeah. Right, because this is not the real romance of Elvis because that Priscilla is not 14. True. Isn't she, like, the daughter of the base commander that he's at?
0: Yeah, something like that. They meet at a military party.
1: Her dad is definitely an officer. I don't know whether he's the base commander. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. What do we call this, like, a seven?
0: Sure. It's weird because you see so little.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with this. You know, in real life, Elvis should not have been dating Priscilla. Because that is the definition of a problematic and illegal age gap yeah so mark in that spirit what is another movie from 2022 in which the leads should not have kissed
0: this one was tough because i do like in movies when characters kiss frequently but the one i'm gonna have to go with is lydia tar should not have kissed anyone because (laughs) then she got canceled
1: so you're you're saying that's the main problem. If Lydia Tar had just kept her kisses to herself, she'd still be where she wanted to be today.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not, because we'll talk more about Tar. But did
1: not help. Lydia Tar did nothing wrong. I'm on the record. <laughs> we stand a queen. My God. <laughs> uh, I'm coming out pro Tar. Sure. She d- did several things wrong. I think she made some pretty valid points about metronomes. I think that um, giving
0: people solos because you want to sleep with them, no matter the gender, is bad.
1: Yeah, no, obviously, obviously Lydia Tarr is a great pick here. <laughs> she should not be kissing anybody. And uh, at least, you know, that person, uh, she does not kiss, but not for lack of trying.
0: Yeah. Um, Will, who should not have kissed in 2022?
1: I decided to go with some people who do actually kiss in the movie, and that's the leads of Park Chan-wook's decision to leave. Which is just a whole movie about bad romantic choices.
0: Okay, fair. I haven't seen it, but, you know, that description
1: sounds like a movie where the leads shouldn't kiss. All I'm saying is if you are a homicide detective, you probably should not be making out with the wife of a dead guy who you're investigating.
0: Hmm, true. Right? Seems problematic. Seems problematic.
1: Especially if you are married.
0: Oh god, yeah. I want to
1: watch this. It's good. It was so funny that, like, I saw it knowing pretty much nothing. And there are some, you know, talking about Elvis, Decision to Leave, he's got some real crazy shots. There's a shot, there, there's a shot sequence in Decision to Leave where he's investigating a dead body that's, like, fallen off a cliff. And so you start with shot from behind the detective and you see him, like, standing at the edge of the cliff. Then you do shot down the edge, down off the cliff. So basically you're in his POV looking down at the dead, dead body. Then you've got a shot from the bottom looking up at the detective s- staring down, except this shot's perspective is from within the eyeball of the dead body. And you can kind of see that the eye is between you and everything you're seeing. And then an ant crawls across his eyeball. Uh. Ew. It's cool. Yeah, I don't But like I went that. in knowing very little, except that, like, it was a detective movie. And it wasn't until after that I saw all the press with Park Chan-wook talking about how, like, it's a love story, in a way. And I was like, I, I see you, but I spent the whole movie thinking this was very ill-advised. <laughs>
0: yeah. Ugh. You know what? Detectives shouldn't kiss relatives of the victims they're investigating. And that's definitely... a hot take I'm gonna put out there.
1: Yeah, that's... I think, uh, not, not so hot a take, honestly. Yeah. I think we can safely say detectives <laughs> I should not kiss there. relatives of the people they're investigating. Fair. Alright. Speaking of unusual behavior by civil servants.
0: Okay, fair. I was wondering where you'd go.
1: Mark, talk to me about the romance of Everything Everywhere all at once.
2: The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please, be kind. Especially when we don't know what's
0: going on. So, the main romance of Everything Everywhere All at once. Well, I guess there's kind of two. But the main one is the romance between Michelle Yeung and... What's his name? Oh my god. Ki-Hoo Kwan. Kihu Kwan. They've been married for a while. They run a laundromat together, which... Is funny in a way because they are not laundering money, which I assume most laundromats are doing.
1: Okay. Two things. Uh, Number one, they haven't just been married for a long time. They are getting divorced when the movie starts.
0: He has not yet asked her to get divorced when the movie starts. He has the papers, but he has not served them to her at the beginning of the movie.
1: Okay. I was going to say number two, they are not laundering money. That is true. They are committing fairly blatant tax fraud well yes yeah. a thing that i think is sometimes lost in discussion about the movie where they're like ah Deirdre, just such a mean lady and i'm like she is a mean lady she's also right
0: are they committing tax fraud or are they just bad at taxes i think they are committing tax yeah, fraud. I think they're committing tax fraud <laughs> but you know what good for them no pay your taxes <laughs> no taxes are
1: good <laughs> yes pay your taxes A lot of it seems to be that they're just bad at their taxes, too. I think that's a part of it, but I think that's mostly a cover for tax fraud. Yeah. Anyway, the romance. Anyway,
0: the romance, yes. Waymond is going to serve her divorce papers. I don't think he ever actually... Does he ever actually get around to giving her the papers?
1: I think he does, but it's, like, kind of awkward and quiet where he's like, oh, yeah, I need you to sign this.
0: Oh, yeah. And then she basically is just like, no. But then um, the whole parallel universe plotline starts and things get crazy. But throughout all of the parallel universe jumping, she eventually does learn to embrace the, you know, joy that Waymond can bring to her life.
1: Right. Her story across the movie is accessing all of these different versions of herself and across all these different universes and coming to appreciate the life that she has in this one. Right. And
0: especially, I would say, a lot of it is what Wayman can bring her. Right. Because, I mean, one of the most, like, biggest moments in their relationship, because mostly the movie is about her and her daughter, but one of the biggest moments in their relationship is in the one where she's a big movie star and they reconnect in the alley, he was like, he says something along the lines of, in another universe, I would have loved to run a laundromat with you.
1: Yeah, because the backstory is so... and You know, I haven't seen this movie since March of last year, or April, whenever it came out. Part of the backstory of their relationship is that they started dating, and, like, their parents didn't approve?
0: Yeah. I can't remember why. I think it's because he didn't have enough money, so I think Gong Gong didn't like him.
1: And so, in the Prime universe, they... Move to America to get away from that. Mm -hmm. In the movie star universe, in which they use actual footage of Michelle Yao on the Crazy Rich Asians press tour, uh, they break up and she stays and becomes Michelle Yao. Right.
0: Which is a great addition. Yes. But in the end, they eventually all get to, you know, live happily ever after.
1: I want to shout out, while we're talking about the romance of this movie, that there is another romance, and that's between the daughter whose main name I don't remember. I know her as the villain Jobu Topaki. Joy. Who, like me, loves an everything bagel. But there's her romance with her partner, uh, which I find very fun. Her partner is, like, very sweet of not really understanding what's going on. She does not speak Chinese. But it's just, like, consistently trying to be pretty friendly, especially with James James Hong. Mm -hmm. And I, I just enjoy every time she's on screen.
0: She is great. Shout out to Becky. They have a good relationship, too. But the biggest shout out of all goes to Rakakuni.
1: Rakakuni is the movie about the the chef who's bad at cooking. <laughs> Not There's a movie, but a the actual universe. Mark, where do you want to rate the romance of Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was your number one movie of last year?
0: I'm going to probably rewatch this movie tomorrow. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to see. Like, I mean, it's funny because it's like when you get to watch a relationship play out in every possible way and then end up in the relationship where you're happiest, you kind of want to give it a 10
1: in a way. Sure. I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, do we ever resolve the divorce plotline in the main universe? I think so.
0: I think it's tacitly resolved because they're filing their taxes together again at
1: the end. Sure. I think if I'm looking at places where I'm a little less certain of the romance of this movie, I think it is in that element of it, because I certainly come out of the movie feeling that Evelyn, Michelle Yeoh, has come to a new understanding of this relationship, but she's not the one who served papers. Fair. And I don't know that Wayman has had the same experience, because he does not seem to really be that aware of all the stuff that's going on.
0: Yeah, but I do think um, reconciling with Joy will go a long way in fixing, in, like, opening the door to Wayman to fixing their relationship. Yeah, okay. Because I think a big part of the driving of the divorce is Waymond unhappiness with her relationship with Joy. Okay, I think that's fair. So I think it makes sense that they could work it out. Alright, I'm gonna give this movie an 8. But yeah, I'm probably not gonna go with a 10, but may- an 8 sounds good. 8 or a 9. I'm going to give it a solid 8.5. All right. Perfectly fine. Now, to another dysfunctional family. Will, will you take us to the Fablemans?
2: It's a lot.
1: Uh-huh. It's sort of a shrine, almost. Shrine to guys. Lots of guys.
2: They're sexy.
1: I guess. I
0: mean, not Jesus. Jesus is sexy. Isn't that like a sin or something?
2: I don't know. He came to us as a man, a handsome young man. He could have come as a girl or an old man or someone with leprosy, but-
0: Nobody knows what he really looked like.
2: Probably he looked like you.
0: Oh, because, because he was-
2: Jewish, a handsome Jewish boy.
1: Just like you. Another movie that I saw twice in theaters. I could have seen it a third time. Oh, I was about to ask if, what, if that counted. No, it did not count. Um, my most traumatic experience at the movies last year was when I took my family to see The Fablemans the day after Thanksgiving, or maybe it was two days after Thanksgiving. And during the trailers, I noticed that there's this blue tint to everything. The blue tint was so noticeable, you could tell it was tinted blue during the Way of Water trailer. Oh, wow. And... I went to complain vigorously to the staff at the AMC Dine-In Rio Cinemas 18. And it was quickly made clear that I was not the first person to have this objection. And finally a staffer came into the theater where there were quite a bunch of us who were annoyed about this. And they were like, look, maybe the movie's going to be right. Because the movie's a separate file from the trailers. And we were like, what if it's not? And they were like, well then, there's nothing we can do because we can't get someone here who can fix it until tomorrow. So just watch it blue. And you know, my most anticipated movie of this year was probably The Fablemans or The Way of Water, and it was probably The Fablemans. And so I'm like having a mental breakdown trying to figure out if I can stand to watch The Fablemans when it's blue. And the trailers ended. We saw Nicole Kidman. She was also blue. And then that, like, fancy Amblin into the Universal logo that they created for this movie started, and it was also blue. And my wife was like, you need to leave or you're going to be stressed out this entire time. Uh, yeah. And I left. So I did not see The Fablemans with my family, but I did see it twice later on.
0: Um, this is the movie I think that most surprised me, and how much I enjoyed it. That's because it's great, and it was poorly marketed. It was much better than I was anticipating I don't know why, I was just like, it'll be, I was kind of like, it'll be fine. I think my mouth has been soured with the amount of, like, biopics that even a, you know, fictionalized biopic, I was not thrilled about.
1: I don't think it's biopics so much as you thought this was going to be Belfast.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I was worried about.
1: And it would be hard not to watch the marketing for the Fablemans and think, This is going to be Steven Spielberg's Belfast. And Spielberg's a much better director than Kenneth Branagh. But nonetheless. And the thing is, this movie is so much better made, sure. But also, like, spikier. It's a a complicated movie. I
0: didn't expect it to be as harsh on his parents as it was.
1: And also, like, it's almost a superhero movie. Not like that it's built like one. But it's about this kid whose superpower is just, like, his ability to make film, and it's not about, like, look at me, the great director. It's about, like, this thing that I can do, I can do it better than everyone, but it separates me from everyone. Like, the the climax of it is during the scene where Paul Dano and Michelle Williams are telling the kids that they're going to be separating, and you will see Sammy Fableman sitting there watching in shock, and then also in the mirror you see him imagining himself, how he would shoot this scene.
0: Making the Fablemans.
1: Right, making the ones. The only way he can process the things that are happening in his life is through film. When he hits a moment that he can't process, which is discovering his mom's emotional affair with Benny, he stops making film because he's like, "This is this is destroying everything."
0: It's a very good movie, and so good. David Lynch shows up at the end as John Ford, which was a surprise that I didn't. It's a great punchline.
1: It's a great punchline of the movie.
0: It's a great punchline. I think that Michelle Williams is doing good work. Paul Dano's doing good work. The kid playing Sammy's doing good work. Uncle Boris was very fun.
1: Judd Hirsch? Great.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It was just like... I think I was expecting something a lot more just... trope. Like, stereotypical. Trope-heavy. And it was much more unique than that.
1: Which is what... You know, we've been saying this a lot recently, like, that's what makes you connect to it, is the fact that it feels like a specific person. It
0: is a, it's like a real, it feels like a real family.
1: And it is, of course, heavily based on Steven Spielberg's childhood, but it's not a one-to-one. I think, for our purposes, the most notable thing is that Sammy Fableman's girlfriend is a made-up character.
0: I can only imagine but i love her so i love much. her it's so funny and good for her for being like no i'm going to college you idiot
1: at the end right when he's spiraling because his parents are getting a divorce and basically proposes to his girlfriend at prom and she's just like <laughs> absolutely
0: not you dummy <laughs> we're not broken up because this is prom but we will break
1: up because this is absurd the actress's name is chloe east she's so funny in this movie, and also just the fact that when she first takes Sammy home, you go into her room, and it clearly she is, like, just, like, a wonderful kind of teenager, in that, like, she's, like, feeling new feelings. Like, she is horny, but she is also very turn-of-the-60s Catholic. And so, what she has imprinted on is, like, well, I love Jesus, so that means, I like, I love Jesus in all ways. I think Jesus is a hottie. Jesus is my ideal man, Sammy Feldman is Jewish and Jesus was Jewish. And so that almost becomes her excuse for dating Sammy is like, well, it's, it's like dating Jesus. Well, yeah. Cause she's a horny for Jesus. That whole scene is so funny. And also just watching Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy doing the calculations of like, okay, how much of this Christianity stuff am I willing to put up with to get to make out with this girl? Uh, he does a great job with it too. It's so funny. I think Gabriel Lebel is incredible in this movie. He might be my winner for Best Actor for this year. Uh, I'm a big fan. I love him so much. He introduced Judd Hirsch at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards when Judd Hirsch got Best Supporting Actor. And his speech was so sweet. Aww. It was lovely to see him again. Judd Hirsch in this movie, a great AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards winner. Yes.
0: But where would you... Re- I guess we should talk about the grown-up relationship, too. The one I'm more interested in is the like, Catholic schoolgirl hoarding for Jesus because it's funny, but...
1: Right, we talked about the fictional romance, the based-on-real-life romance is between uh, Mitzi Fableman, played by Michelle Williams, and Paul Dano as Bert Fableman. Dano, a contender for supporting actor for me, too, this year. I love Paul Dano's performance in this movie. They are married, and they are your classic, like, art and science couple, where she is this great pianist, and he is a, a brilliant computer engineer.
0: And they seem very happy at first.
1: Yeah, they are. They kind of struggle with where they fit into each other's lives. Like, you especially yeah. feel Mitzi struggling with where she fits into this life. Like, she kind of proudly does not want to be a, just like, housewife. I think it's so notable the way that she insists on not doing dishes. That they always use paper plates and paper table lots and stuff. So at the end of dinner, they throw everything in the middle of the table. And she just gathers it up and throws it out.
0: Yeah. Because she, I mean, she had a life before. As the pianist that she kind of gave up, and she could have gone further. Her uncle, is Boris, is mad that she gave it up. And she also is very close to their friend Benny, played by Seth Rogen. Who is
1: good in this. Yes, he
0: is good in this.
1: Seth Rogen, great uncle vibes.
0: Like, you understand why she's into him, why the kids like him. It works, but it's still very sad when they get divorced.
1: Yeah, it is. And they ultimately get divorced in part because she wants to go back to living near Benny, Mm -hmm. near Seth Rogen. And one of the big tipping points for that is that Sammy discovers this emotional relationship between Mitzi and Benny when he's cutting together film footage of a family trip that they took. And I think part of what's fascinating about that whole sequence, and especially about when Sammy shows Mitzi the footage, is that, like... I really do not believe there's anything more to it than, like, what we see on that camera. Like, I don't think they were, like, secretly making out. Yeah, I agree. I almost more have the sense that she wasn't aware of the extent of this emotional affair. It's not until it's put in front of her that she's like, oh my gosh, like, this has gone too far and I hadn't even realized it. Oh, yeah. I can see that, too. She's clearly horrified that her son has seen this, but also horrified to see it herself. Yeah. Because she's not exactly in touch with her emotions. No. And, like, that's part of what is so great about this movie is the way everyone gets to play so many different things. And then also James Urbaniak plays the principal of the school. Like, there's everything going on here.
0: Of course he does. He is giving the most, like, James Urbaniak performance in this, too. And I love it! It always works for me.
1: <sighs> I love the Fableman.
0: Spoiler alert for next week episode.
1: We get back-to-back Urbaniaks. I forgot he was in that movie. Indeed, he is. <laughs> Um, I love this movie. I think it's basically a perfect movie. Where are you going to rate the believability of The Fableman's Romance?
0: I don't know. The Sammy and Christian Girl one is, I like, I don't know how much I believe it.
1: I love it so much, but how much does it tick it down? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm giving this movie a nine. I'm going to give it an eight. Okay, that's fine. Um, I think about this movie constantly. I love it. Good movie. I, honestly, The Fablemans is a movie about filmmaking, and it should not be made into a musical, although I can see how someone would have the impulse. Mark, tell me what movie from this year should be made into a musical.
0: I think that a action-adventure Lost in the Jungle musical with a villain based off The Lost City would be very fun. Okay. Because imagine the villain song sung by Daniel
1: Radcliffe. Well, that would be fun. You know, Daniel Radcliffe, always a good time on stage. He's doing Merrily We Roll Along this year, which I would love to see.
0: It's mostly so he can reprise the
1: role. Yeah. And give a good villain performance. That's cool. My pick is a movie you've certainly not seen. uh, And that's a movie called Oink. Oink? Oink. Okay. This is a Dutch animated film.
0: Sure. About
1: about a pig uh, that's a nervous pooper. Of course. Oink is the story of a little girl who really wants a pet, I think, dog, but she can't get a dog because her dad is allergic. But then, right in time for her birthday, her long-lost grandfather suddenly reappears in town, and he says, all right, but we're going to get you an animal, and he takes her to get a little pig that they name Oink. And she learns to raise Oink and take care of him, and it's all very sweet and fun. But then it turns out, her grandfather, the reason he's been gone is because 25 years ago, he was banned from the town's... Sausage making contest For getting in fights with the other contestants And now he's come back Because his 25 year ban is up And he wants to win the contest And he's raising Oink for the slaughter Oh no But Oink also is a nervous pooper Which comes up a lot And let me tell you Watching a pig nervous poop in stop motion is fun Wow I'm intrigued I think the story lends itself well to being a musical Obviously you've got to figure out how to do the pig Which is a little bit of a challenge Yeah, animals
0: on stage, never that fun.
1: Yeah, a lot of my thoughts for this, you'd have to work out like a puppet or something, because like, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, pretty good time, I thought of that. I would love Javier Bardem to reprise his role. And I also thought if you wanted to do something a little more experimental, you could make a musical out of Goodnight Oppie, the documentary about the Mars rover.
0: I didn't know that existed.
1: I say that mostly because I want a song based around that famous message it sent as its battery was dying. It just sent a message to Earth that said, my battery is low and it's getting dark. That was so sad.
0: And I would love the song
1: version of that.
0: I, I agree. Alright, let's do it, Well, Let's get
1: to work. Um, sp- speaking of music, you want to talk about my girl? It's tar time.
2: Time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is, is the essential piece of uh,
0: interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. You
2: know, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means the time stops.
0: Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the
2: orchestra in real time, making the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time it is and the exact moment that you and I will
1: arrive at our destination together. My BFF?
0: The movie that wins the award for um, most surprising movie to receive the Game of Thrones level theorizing treatment.
1: All of it dumb. It's all dumb. You know my theory about Tar? The events that are shown in the (laughs) movie Tar took place. Yeah, the movie Tar happened. That's the only theory you need about Tar. Every other theory, dumb. The best
0: piece of Tar content was the list of 49 true facts about Lydia Tar from Vulture that you sent me. An incredible list. Because I believe all of them about that character. Um, Tar is a movie about Lydia Tar who is not a real person. Uh, important disclaimer because I also went in at one point thinking it was a real person and then learned before oh, seeing it
1: that it wasn't. Did you read the article by the woman who, like, wrote about getting fully out of the movie and onto Google before learning it? Yes, I did read that. A, like, professional writer wrote a whole article complaining about how she could not search YouTube for the real clip of Lydia Tarr tackling someone else at a concert. And how she felt really betrayed by, I don't know, fiction? I get it. We're just like, it
0: feels exactly like the type of biopic that would be made. A composer that is famous enough, but that we haven't heard of.
1: But it's also explicitly set now. There are multiple references to the pandemic.
0: Yeah, that part I get. Before I saw the movie, I thought it was based on a real person. And I knew nothing about classical music, so I wouldn't know about this person. But when you watch it, it's like pretty clear that it, you would have heard of Lydia Tarr if she was real. Yeah! But she is the first woman to become the maestro of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. She lives in Germany with her wife, and it seems to be just her wife's daughter.
1: Yes, but Lydia is Petra's father. Um, what... (laughs) That's what she says to the bully kid. She walks up and she goes, I'm Petra's father. Oh, I forgot about that part. It's one of the best scenes I, uh, when she bullies I remember a child. I when she
0: bullies the child. I didn't remember she said.
1: I- She's like, if you do anything, I'll beat you up. <laughs> and if you tell any grown-up that I said this, they won't believe you. It's so intense.
0: This woman is a monster. It's so good. This woman is a
1: monster. Best movie of the year by a country mile
0: she's very flirty with younger women. She gives a new cellist a solo, contrives to give her a solo over her first chair celloist because she wants to sleep with her. I mean, she also has a history of like, and then, and then it comes out. Yeah. She has like, she has this foundation
1: where that's supposed to help young female conductors get placements with orchestras at the beginning of the movie. She's announcing like, why do we even need to make this focused on just women anymore? We've made our point. Yeah. But she also has used this as a pipeline to, like, groom young women.
0: Including one who then killed herself. Because Lydia Tar is a bad person. Yeah, I think, I think people are complicated. Okay, well. The best part is the movie ending with her conducting at a cosplay convention in the Philippines.
1: It's specifically Monster Hunter.
0: Is it really? Oh my god, it's so good.
1: Yeah, it's a punchline at the expense of her. There's, like... The latest round of dumb Tar discourse is that Tar is anti-video game, and it's not, but Lydia Tar is anti-video game. It's funny because it happens to her, not because video games are dumb.
0: Right. Yeah, it's very clearly about Lydia Tar. Um, where would you rate the romance of this movie, Will?
1: Um, look, I mean, the romance of Tar is that she has a wife whose pills she steals. And who she is not nice to. Yes, and the wife realizes this and leaves her when she starts endangering their child. And Lydia, Tar, also tries to uh, groom and sleep with young women. I don't know. Is this a 10? (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. I don't think she would have lasted that long in the relationship. That's true. Okay. Call it a 9. We'll call it a 9. Why not? I'm fine with that. Tar is great. People don't know how to handle it because they're not used to just like a fictional drama for adults that's great.
0: I mean, I was just thinking more that. I guess I haven't read much of the discourse except for what you have told me, so I don't know how bad it is. But I think people are so used to these music biopics coming out that they were surprised that it
1: was fiction. That's the- I mean, the, the Lydia Tar is a real person is mostly a joke. There's really just the one article. the The bigger part of Tar discourse is the like Tar explained discourse, treating it like it's Westworld and like yeah, trying to solve Tar is absurd. The, like, growing large portion of people who have convinced themselves that the last third of Tar is a dream. And it's just, like, to what end? Like, if that were a dream, what would that tell us? Nothing. If it happened, then it fits with the rest of the movie. Like, not everything needs to be solved. And all of this comes because
0: George R. R. Martin has spent too long writing Winds of Winter. And the internet has become a cesspit of, like, theorizing about Game of Thrones, and it is spreading to other media. That's exactly what the problem is. (laughs) Like, I think that's the exact source
1: of the problem. Alright. Speaking of a movie that requires you not to think about anything, except maybe who the enemy is. Oh my god. And that is this year's AARP Movies for Grownups Awards Best Movie for Grownups, Top Gun Maverick. Did it really win? It sure did. Oh my god. It's not what I would pick. For the AARP. I would probably give it to Fablements. But I do think that it should have won Best Grown Up Love Story.
2: You're supposed to be in the Navy. I don't sail boats, Penny. I land on them. It's sort of like raising the flaps on an airplane. So how do I do that? You pull on that green line up
1: there. Green line? Yes,
2: pull it hard. Jim, drink it. You okay? Yeah. Good. Now. You ready? For what? The afterburner.
0: It is a very good love story because it is very much a grown-up love story. Yeah, it's a romance about adults and it is played totally straight. It's two exes who reconnect and fall back in love after one of them has made character growth.
1: Jennifer Connolly is glowing in this movie. She is very attractive in this movie. Every shot of her is like, holy cow. And especially when she's on
0: that boat. It's very good. Yeah. That part. The whole war element is tough. Yeah, we actually have not discussed your feelings about Top Gun Maverick. It is a good movie to watch. I just, like... I, The whole military propaganda element of it. And, like, it's one of those movies where the point is, like, we need real people behind the guns to commit war crimes rather than drones. Eh.
1: Okay, but, like, to me, like, yes, there is that element there. Even more so, like, you cannot divorce the fact that Top Gun Maverick is a Tom Cruise movie, and in that light, it feels like a movie about the importance of movie stars. Yes. Like, Ed Harris is Kevin Feige being there like, ah, we don't need these people anymore. We can just do it all on a computer. And Maverick is like, no, I can do things that you don't even think are possible. And I can get this whole crew and bring them along with me.
0: Yes. In that light, I like it. I just don't want to see that through the military lens, because I don't like
1: war movies. That's fine. I, I understand and sympathize with that. I just think that the action in this is so thrillingly shot and yeah. like, the whole structure of the movie, how it is a very similar structure to the original. I think the difference is that because this time they're training for a specific mission, there's almost like a heist movie quality to it where the whole thing is just about like drilling on doing this particular job over and over and over again. And then you go to them doing it in real life, real life. I mean, it's a movie, but like you go to them doing it in actuality and they're doing it and then they've done it. It's exciting. And then you remember that now they have to fight the next-gen fighters. I will not dunk on Top Gun's screenplay nomination, because I think it is a really well-constructed movie. It is a
0: good movie in that regard, and it is very exciting action. But I just, yeah, I don't know, especially now in this day and age, I'm having trouble with just bringing myself watching war movies in general.
1: That's why I put it off. Have you considered that actually uh, war is bad? And uh, lots of people died in World War I. <laughs> wow. I'm so glad I watched that movie. Because I wouldn't have known that otherwise. Uh, Top Gun Maverick's got a great love story. When Maverick arrives at the base, he meets Jennifer Connelly, who runs a bar. They clearly have a romantic past. And they just kind of start flirting again. She's making him the butt of some jokes, tricking him into buying beers for the whole bar. And they just wind up uh, hanging out more and more. They go for a motorcycle ride. Uh, they have sex, which they try to hide from the daughter. It's, it's great fun. You get the classic, like, just don't hurt her from the daughter. Yeah. Because he clearly hurt her in the past. Top Gun Maverick is a movie where you're like, maybe cliches exist for a reason. Because when you hit them right, they when work you so well. do it right,
0: it sings. But it's hard to do it perfectly.
1: It's crazy that that movie works, and it works so well.
0: So where would you rate
1: the romance? I love the romance of this movie. I... I think Jennifer Connelly is so good. I love seeing Tom Cruise playing a person, which is funny to say in Top Gun Maverick, where he's just playing, like, the best fighter pilot who ever existed. But the scenes that he has with Jennifer Connelly and with Val Kilmer, that, to me, is, like, the promise of Tom Cruise, great actor, maybe returning to us.
0: If only he didn't do so much work for an evil organization.
1: I mean, yes. (laughs) But uh, my, my... I think after... The last Mission Impossible movie. We're gonna get some real some real stuff from him.
0: I hope so. But also he might die before then in a terrible stunt. So we'll see. He might see. die making the space movie. Yeah.
1: Um I don't know. What are you gonna give Top Gun? Uh,
0: there's not a ton of the romance, so there's not a lot of moments to ding it, if that makes sense. And give it a ten? I don't think I'm gonna give it a ten. Okay, I will. You're gonna give it a ten. Yeah, sure. I don't know. It's hard for me sometimes because Tom Cruise is so, like, undateable in real life. I mean, they don't get married. That's true. They don't get married. They're just dating. I'll give it a 10. Hey, yeah. But, Will, what's the least believable romance of 2022?
1: In that spirit. In that spirit. The last movie that I saw in theaters before becoming a married man is a little movie that tells you about a place. A place out in the marsh. Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh god. And that is a movie with some weird romance. I have not seen it. The main thing I, like, the only thing
0: I know about Where the Crawdads Sing basically is that she, the author of the book is a
1: wanted murderer in Zambia. Yes, she cannot travel to certain parts of Africa where she will be arrested related to a murder from several, from like 20 years ago. A murder that bears suspicious resemblance to the murder in this movie. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's, It's an odd movie. It's an odd story in general. Um, You know, I don't have a lot to say about it, except that I think it's a a pretty weird love story, and I especially think the way that it ends is weird, (laughs) with the revelation that she is, in fact, a murderer. Uh, Like, the movie sets up this whole thing of, like, David Strathairn defending her in court and all that, and then at the end it's like, ah, but she was a murderer. And it's like, all right, this is a a pretty convoluted murder plot, and I I don't think she did it, actually. Oh weird. It's it's a weird movie. It's not good. It's like kind of fine. It's the kind of like fine based on a novel movie that we should probably have a couple of times a year. But that doesn't mean I believed it. Yeah.
0: Well, my least believable romance is a film called The Northman, (laughs) because... (laughs) Is it not believable because he doesn't just go with Anya Taylor-Joy? There's two reasons. One, there's no reason Anya Taylor-Joy should have fallen in love with him to begin with. That's the big problem. There's no reason he shouldn't just go off with her at the end.
1: Okay, there is a reason, and it's he's dumb. He's so dumb. The whole movie is about how dumb he is. Of course he doesn't go with her. Yeah, I know. It makes sense in the movie. It's really just like, I don't believe
0: for a second that she would fall in love with him.
1: That's the real problem. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the Northman, I love how dumb he is, and I would never take that away. Yeah, you can't remove his dumbness from him. It's the whole point of the movie. He's a dum-dum who thinks he's in a Epic myth, and in fact, he's just being dumb, and everyone around him wants to just live their lives. Yeah. Everyone in the movie is constantly begging him, please be normal.
0: I know, it's just like, please be normal. Except for Willem Dafoe, who's saying, please be weirder.
1: Yeah, and and that's fun from Willem Dafoe, a guy whose career at this point is basically just, I assume, an agent yelling at him, please be weirder. (laughs) True. I assume you have not seen the trailer for this movie inside that he's in this year, which is just... A movie of Willem Dafoe getting like trapped in some like he's like trying to rob art from a rich dude's apartment while the rich dude's out of town, but then like the security measures go in place and Willem Dafoe is just locked there, getting more and more unhinged in a fancy apartment.
0: Huh. That sounds intriguing. It looks pretty weird. Yeah. Well, speaking of weird uh, what I was about to say. <laughs> the next movie we'll be covering is Triangle of Sadness.
1: I saw this movie at the Alamo Draft House. It was just me and an old guy who laughed much less than I did.
2: Seriously, I mean, we're sitting here together. You shouldn't, just don't do that. Do what? If I started smiling at the hot stewardess and, you know. You think she's hot? No, but if she was and I started smiling at her and giggling and saying, hey, like you did, then you wouldn't like it, would you? Are you jealous? No. No? No, I'm not. I'm not. It's just like... I mean, come on. Look at you. And then... Fucking hot guy turns up. I mean, he shouldn't be... Do you think he's hot? Yeah, he's all right. You? Yeah. What the fuck, man? What? You just said you thought he was hot. But come on. You don't have
0: to... You said it very quickly.
2: Jesus. (gasps)
0: This movie was very interesting
1: and stressful. Winner of the Palme d'Or at last year's Cannes Film Festival.
0: I think the scenes where the boat is going through the storm are some of the most stressful film experience I've had in a long time. Because I was, like, getting nauseous and stressed out and getting mad at Woody Harrelson to, like, do
1: something. Oh my god. Last year was a big year for vomit on screen, between Triangle of Sadness, that storm sequence is just people throwing up constantly, and then Babylon, of course, is just body fluids everywhere, including a great scene of Margot Robbie vomiting on the floor.
0: I've been on a boat where I think my family was the only people on the boat that didn't vomit, and it's a very traumatic experience, so I get it. It was awful. And then Woody Harrelson making it worse was just, like, so painful to watch. It was
1: so stressful. I didn't love that there was a baby on board. (laughs) That, the boat is the part of the movie that I, like, least. In part, because Woody Harrelson doesn't quite work for me in the movie. No.
0: The part that works best for me is literally just the part where it's sinking. Or, like, going through the storm, because it doesn't actually sink. Oh, I love the island. And then the island. But I just, like, was feeling exactly what the movie wanted me to feel. And I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, the island part is my favorite. In part because I love, initially, the notion that this, like, luxury cruise crew is going to continue serving the passengers as they're all stranded on this island. And the woman in charge is like, yeah, these are, like, the passengers. We need to treat them with respect. And finally, Dolly DeLeon is like, No! We're all on this island. Yeah. Paula
0: is so funny. And she has to be, like, snapped out of it. That, like, you can't just, you like, why are you serving them? But the romance, the central romance, is between a male model and a woman model slash influencer.
1: Yeah, and that's Harris Dickinson and Charlie Dean.
0: And she's only dating him for engagement.
1: Yes the the Instagram vibes of, look at us two hot people dating.
0: And then he is actively trying to convince her to fall in love with him.
1: The whole movie really is about him just being disappointed. It is.
0: The, the poor guy can't catch
1: a break. Yeah, starting off in the opening sequence where he is modeling and going through the indignities of a modeling shoot. I know, it's so painful to watch. I loved it. And then, as you say, he's in a faux relationship with an influencer who won't make it real, and then he winds up stranded on his island where he's effectively forced into a sexual relationship. Yeah, to receive extra food. But then he
0: does seem to start having feelings for Abigail. It's
1: complicated.
0: It's complicated.
1: Where would you rate it, <laughs> that complicated relationship? Oh, well, let's not forget that I gotta ask do you think he's murdered? I don't think he's murdered. Because I think Yaya's murdered. Yaya, Charlie Dean is definitely murdered. But what's going to happen when he finds out?
0: I don't. I don't know when he'll find out.
1: Like I don't know what the end game is. I can't really predict it. Okay, because my sense at the end of the movie was like he is headed to that beach and is going to find Dolly Dillion standing over his girlfriend's body.
0: Oh, I forgot about the ending of him running. I watched it on a plane ride. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's murdered, too. Because I think he might overpower Dolly.
1: I think Abigail's going down. I think he could overpower her. I don't know that he will. Yeah. Uh, This movie's bananas. This movie Uh, is bananas. I could see people going on a wide range from loving this movie to loathing it. I think it was pretty fun.
0: Not my favorite movie of the year, but I
1: do not hate watching it. Yeah. So, where would you put the believability of the romance, though? I think this is definitely one of our less believable romances.
0: I don't know. I was going to give it, like, a, a a five, maybe.
1: Five is about where I am, too.
0: Great. Now, this movie, unlike All Quiet on the Western Front, did have some credited actresses. But you know what movie had even more credited actresses? <laughs> we got some women talking in our women last nominated movie, Women Talking.
2: And it doesn't matter what I think anyway. No. Is that true? Do you really think it doesn't matter what you think? How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? But I'm not here to think. I'm here to take the minutes of your meeting. But if in your entire life you truly felt it didn't matter what you thought, how would that make you feel? When we've liberated ourselves, we will have to ask ourselves who we are.
1: Uh, Yeah, Women Talking is written and directed by Sarah Polly. Based on a novel by Miriam Toes. It is kind of, sort of, based on a true story. It's not explicitly, but it's inspired by a true story. Yeah. And it's about a group of Mennonite women living in Bolivia.
0: Uh, tw- Honestly, the biggest twist of the movie is at the end when they're navigating by the Southern
1: Cross. So I did know going in that it was in Bolivia. I did not, and I was so confused. And they have discovered the enormous extent to which they are all, down to young children, young girls, being sexually abused by the men in their Mennonite community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the whole movie is discussions of what the women should do. Should they. Just forgive the men and go about things as usual. Should they all leave or should they stay and try to change things? And so the whole movie is mostly women talking and talking about what they should do and the virtues of these different options. Their obligations to one another in the community. Their obligations to the men in the community. It's really good. The movie
0: starts with them voting and they rule out forgiving the men and doing nothing. Yes. But the staying and fighting and leaving are tied. So representatives from the, like, I get I would guess main families mm-hmm. are together in a barn talking about what to do between yeah. those two options. And it's a, just a lot of acting from a lot of very prominent
1: actors. Yeah. Shout out to Judith Ivey, winner of the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Award for Best Supporting Actress.
0: I would say the main three are Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, and Jesse Buckley. And it kind of, it goes from, like, Rudy Morris straddles the whole thing, but the first half is more almost about Claire Foy, and then the second half is more about Jesse Buckley, and everyone gets a chance to, you know, have their moment. It's very good.
1: It's really well done. It's the kind of thing that you could easily imagine being done as a play. But Sarah Polly does a great job of building out the world, and also, even within the barn where the discussion is taking place, really making use of the tools of cinema to bring the thing to life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's very much a play movie, and it could be a play, but it is, I think, better as a movie. Absolutely. Because especially at the end when you see, spoiler alert, when you see all of the like horses and buggies lining up and packing up to go, that is very impactful, and you can only get that on screen.
1: Exactly. And that's huge for the movie. Now,
0: in terms of romance...
1: Really, the only romance we got is the flirtation. You know, there's lots of bad relationships. But if we're talking about honest-to-God romance. All we've got is the flirtation between Rooney Mara and our guy, Mr. Paddington Bear. <laughs> yes, Ben Wishaw as August. Who is the schoolteacher in the community, and they bring him in because none of the women are literate. And so they bring him in to keep the notes of their meeting, And he's not supposed to
0: say anything. Or it's like not called men talking. Be involved. But August, his family was excommunicated, but he comes back and is the
1: teacher of the boys. So he has a different perspective than the other men in the community. And he forms an interesting place in the movie because he becomes kind of a point of discussion, right? Of like, are you going to try to divide the good men from the bad men? Could someone like August come along? And they're like, no, we're drawing a hard line here.
0: Mm-hmm. And then they do end up just drawing hard lines about like, kids, too. The age yeah. of chil- the age of boys that can go.
1: And, like I said, uh, he and Rooney Mara have kind of a flirtation. They spend some nice time on a roof together. And they've been flirting for a long time. Yes, but they're drawn a
0: hard line, so they're not going to be together. They are separated. Where would you rate this
1: flirtationship? Ten. That's exactly what I think would happen. Yeah, I do. I agree. I think everything plays out properly there. Yeah. Even including like, we have a sense that there's been some talk of like, Rooney Mara, why won't you settle down?
0: Right, and she doesn't.
1: And there's a lot. you get a sense of a lot of people being like, well, he's a nice boy, why don't you settle down?
0: Right. All right. So, Will.
1: Yeah, let's wrap this up.
0: If you had to pick one person from one of these movies to date, who would you pick?
1: Oh, man. Um, a lot of good options, a lot of bad options. You know what I'm going to go with? What? Mm, you know what? I was about to say Benny from the Fablemans. Jennifer Connelly is there, though. I gotta go Benny. Benny's the best.
0: I think I'm gonna go with Becky from Everything Everywhere.
1: Oh, very, just nice and normal. <laughs> because she's
0: just one of the few
1: just, like, nice, normal, nothing wrong with her people in all ten movies. A great choice. All right. Well, I, we have been talking for almost two hours, so I think we should probably wrap things up here. Yes.
0: Next week, we will be discussing a film very different from these called The Nanny Diaries.
1: Uh, I be- well,
0: that one Best Picture. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> uh until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Level or email us at levelofpod at gmail.com.
1: Make sure to rate review and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show.
0: Alright, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got in a twenty twenty two movie?
1: Wow, in any twenty twenty two movie.
0: I get let's narrow it down to the best pictures.
1: Okay. Um if it's the best pictures, I'm gonna say the best relationship advice I got is from Avatar The Way of Water, which is... Of course. Listen, when your spouse feels very strongly about something, they might be right. Jake Sully doesn't, and is always wrong.
0: My advice is from The Fablemans, and it's, don't propose it, prom.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's very good advice.
0: <laughs> I know, it's what he does, and boy, does it not work out. So it's just, don't propose it, prom.
1: All righty. All right, we well, did it. Um, <laughs> we did it. I cannot wait to see this year's Oscars and then to talk to you again about the Nanny Diaries <laughs> the and nanny so many diaries. other
0: things. But until next time, I'm gay.
1: And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance.
0: Bye! Bye! yeah.